morning. The scripture for today is taken from Mark 14, verses 12 to 31. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is the word of the Lord. Over the next few weeks, we are approaching more closely the terrible moment that Jesus predicted. Allow me to begin by asking you a question, and I want to hear your answers. What are some memorable events that your society or your culture has never forgotten and has defined who you are as a community or as a society. What are some of them? 9-11, September 11th, 2001. Some others? Miracle on ice. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's fabulous. It truly is, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. What else? Y2K. Interesting. What else? Yeah. The assassination of John F. Kennedy. What else? Yeah. The first man on the moon. 
Pearl Harbor attacked. Yes. What else? Gettysburg. Okay. You weren't alive during that time. <laughs> I don't think you're quite that old. But, but our nation, our, our culture collectively remembers Gettysburg. Yeah. Yeah. Cultures remember uh, what's happened centuries before. Yeah. The riots in Baltimore, very recent, very fresh. Yeah. The redefinition of marriage by the Supreme Court. So people even remember what happens in politics. What else? Roe versus Wade. One more. Somebody who hasn't, uh, somebody's not going to say ice capades right here. The eruption of Mount St. Helens. You know, usually uh, millennials and Gen Xers re- say uh, September 11th very quickly. Uh, some of us Gen Xers will say uh, when the Challenger space shuttle exploded in the 80s. Um, the boomers will say when JFK was assassinated. The elders and the builders will say when Pearl Harbor was attacked. And maybe if you're from another culture, another society, you have other collective memories. If you're from Southeast Asia or East Asia, you may say the tsunamis that have recently hit in the last decade. Notice how many tragedies you spoke of. There are only a couple of triumphs and blessings that I heard. Events, especially tragedies, shape us, don't they? And in a way, we, shared, uh, we, we possess a shared identity through them. Well, uh, of three defining events in Christianity, the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of those three events that Christianity remembers, the Bible tells Christians to commemorate only one of them. And there's a sign for this one thing that we're to commemorate. It's communion. Right? Jesus gave his disciples... As a sign of this one event, the crucifixion, a meal. The sign for, for remembering that monumentous event was a meal. And we call it communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. Now, why would Jesus give a sign for just his crucifixion? Why not give us a continual sign for his incarnation when God became a human being? Or why not just give, give us a continual sign for his resurrection When God became our life as Jesus rose from the dead. Why just focus on a sign for when God literally became our sin. When Jesus hung on a cross and died. Well, the resurrection gives us, the resurrection gives Christians assurance. Solid hope that because Jesus rose from the dead, so will the Christian. And Jesus will return to restore all things, to make all things right, to make all things good. But until he returns, life is hard, isn't it? I mean, we struggle through this existence. Sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we lose our way. Sometimes we give up our hope. It's like, it's like, wait, it's like just trudging through the wilderness sometimes. And while we struggle, we wait, we wait, we wait for God to make things right. Well, communion sustains us while we wait. That's why Jesus gave it to us. 
It's as if Jesus packed our bags with ample provisions for a perilous wilderness expedition. So that without him and without what he's provided for us, we'll starve along the way if we don't receive what he packed for us. So communion significance is that a gracious savior gave us sustaining grace for our journey. I want to talk to you about the memory of grace and the nourishment of grace and the song of grace. Grace helps us remember. Grace nourishes us. Grace even gives us a song. Communion helps us to remember God's grace to us. And when I use the word grace, I mean God's unmerited favor and love upon people who don't earn it. Who can't earn it. That's what I mean by grace. And communion helps us remember that God is gracious. Now the ancient Jews would remember the exodus. They were commanded by God through Moses to remember the exodus. To never forget it. You can read all about it in Exodus chapter 12. God commanded the Israelites each household to sacrifice a perfect lamb. And to paint the blood of the lamb on the door frame. And then to have a meal. To sit down over a meal and to eat the meat of the lamb during that Passover meal. And on that night, called the Passover, God literally passed over the houses that were stained with the blood of lambs. And God protected the families in those households while he brought to judgment the households of the Egyptians who were not covered by that blood. And so Israel forever would remember how God passed over them. To keep them safe. And that's how he saved the ancient Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And so the the Passover meal was a perpetual ritual. It was a continuing sign generation after generation of God's covenant with the people of Israel. He had become their savior, their rescuer, their redeemer. And this meal once a year would bring them together would bring them close to God and would bring them close to each other. Haven't you experienced how meals bring people together? And so God reminded them of this amazing act of victory through a meal. And so now Jesus, thousands of years later, Jesus and his disciples, like good Jews, are in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover meal as their ancestors had always done. And then during the meal, Jesus takes a piece of matzah, takes a piece of unleavened bread and he breaks it. And he says to his disciples, this is my body. And then he passes around a cup of wine and he says, this cup is my blood. And in Luke's gospel, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. You see what Jesus is doing? He's saying in that moment to his friends, I'm the bread that sustains you in the wilderness. And I'm the Passover lamb. It's my blood that brings forgiveness to you. So the Lord's Supper is, it's like a new Passover. You've seen bumper stickers on people's cars that say, 911, 
never forget, right? Well, Jesus is basically saying here to his disciples, never forget what I'm about to do for you. And he gave his followers, all of his followers, through the generations, even down today to Christians living today, he gave his followers a meal, a meal to eat again and again that draws us close to him as his people and it draws us close to each other. Families eat together. And this is how Christians remember what Jesus did for them. But remembering is not enough. There's actually something else that happens when, when followers of Jesus partake of his table. Communion not only reminds us of God's grace, communion nourishes us with God's grace. It's more than a reminder. It's an actual meal that nourishes a believer. The Lady Galadriel presents many gifts to, to the members of the Fellowship of the Ring before they go back out onto their, frankly, almost impossible journey, a perilous journey. Uh, they're even expected to fail. And she gives each of them different gifts that she knows they're going to need, and, and the Lady Galadriel gives to Frodo a file of light. And I'm not going to tell you all the details because I'll just sound like a Tolkien nerd. But she gives Galadriel this file of light, and, she, and, and it's a light for when all other lights go out. And she gave it to him because she knew that Frodo, in the darkest of moments, in the most hopeless of situations, would absolutely need it. And so what Jesus is saying in the upper room around that, around that table of his last supper with his disciples is I'm not going to give you a tool. I'm going to give you myself. See, what Jesus gives for the Christian on her journey is not a tool. It's not just a token. He gives us himself. There is another place in the Gospels, in John chapter 6, where Jesus used similar language. And this was earlier in his ministry. He said to the crowds, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. So if you're confused by what he's saying there, you should be. Because the first people who heard him say this were absolutely confused. Some of them were so confused that they said, I've had enough of this guy. I'm going home. Centuries later, some Christians would begin to think that what Jesus is saying is that a miracle takes place when we eat this meal. That somehow, mysteriously and mystically and magically and miraculously, uh, common bread and common wine be, literally become the body of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and, and literally become the blood of the Lord Jesus. And other Christians came along and said, that's ludicrous. That's grotesque. Uh, how, could, how could the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ uh, be, be a broken body and shed blood all over again? It, it can't be that. This table is just, it's just a memory. It's just a memorial. It's just a token of what Jesus did. And then some Christians came along, uh, like John Calvin, and said, well, maybe it's not either extreme. 
these things, the bread and, 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 and wine are not miraculously becoming the body and blood of a risen Lord Jesus having to be sacrificed all over again, again, and again, and again. But, but something must happen. It can't just be a memorial. It can't just be for remembering. What if we forget? And so what, what John Calvin said was that the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is present amongst Christians when they take communion to spiritually feed those who trust in him. The Heidelberg Catechism uh, from just after John Calvin put it this way. Christ has promised that he himself as certainly feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood as I receive from the hand of the minister and actually taste the bread and the cup of the Lord. Just as I am actually literally ingesting these elements, the spirit of Jesus Christ is literally nourishing and feeding my soul. So the bread and the cup are signs of Jesus' sacrifice where he became the substitute criminal in my place. And this table is a sign that helps me not only remember that, but it nourishes me through the memory of it and the observance of it. And so the Christian is enabled to literally feast on the grace of God. This, um, this gold band that I just pulled off of my finger is not one ring to rule them all. It is one ring to rule me. And I don't... When I, look at, when I look at this ring, it, it signifies all that my wife Becky and I have and all that we share and all that we are. The wonderful triumphs, the, the sad struggles, the challenges, uh, and all that are a part of our family. I know it's not the marriage itself. It's a sign of the marriage. I don't take it off when I go away for a week. If I go to travel or to teach or go to a conference, I don't take it off and leave it behind me just because I'm not with Becky. Actually, when I'm away from her, the ring is a sign that reminds me of who I am, of what we have together, the good and the bad. And it sustains me and encourages me until we reunite. And that's what communion does for people who take it by faith. The Apostle Paul would one day say, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, that's more than a memory. That's sustenance. It's more than being grateful for the past. It's hoping in the future. So Christians remember grace at this table. And grace nourishes them at the table. But um, Jesus and his supper will make no sense to you if you are wrongfully optimistic of your strengths and your self-sufficiency. None of this will make any sense to you. Jesus reveals another two shocking predictions in this passage, right? He reveals during supper... 
that one of his 12 closest disciples is about to betray him. And the rest of them are about to desert him completely. And their response around the table is what? The passage tells us that they are sorrowful. And the original language, that word meant to grieve. You know how you feel when people close to you don't trust you? How that makes you feel? (laughs) They grieved when Jesus told them, you're all going to desert me. They all grieved. Really, Lord? After all we've been through, all these years, you would think that I would do that to you? It grieves me, frankly. It really makes me sad that you would think that of me. They had very high expectations of themselves. And so let me ask you, are your expectations of yourself too high in any department of life? This manifests itself in different ways. For, for secular people, okay, if you're here, if you're not a tr- Christian, and if you're not even religious, um, you may be striving to make it in life, to make it in the world without God, without a creator. And you are trying to live a competent existence without God. Now, some people uh, have the opposite problem. Uh, they're rule followers. They're, they're, they're code keepers. And they're trying... Uh, They're trying to live an existence where they are competent to please God. Some people are competent, are trying to be competent to exist without God. And some people are trying to be competent to please God. But we all fail. We've all failed Jesus. And and think, think about all the promises you've made in your life. Think about all the vows you've taken, all the amazing declarations of what you were going to do and how you're going to be uh, trustworthy and faithful to this project or to that person, all the prayers you've spoken, all the songs you've sung in praise and adoration of what you're going to do for God. And ask yourself, how many of those prayers, how many of those promises, how many of those commitments have you perfectly kept? Aren't our lives littered with thousands of broken words, with hundreds of unkept promises. We have very high expectations of ourselves and very low expectations of God. You might be trying to get through your life feeding yourself with what scraps you can find and conjure up on your own while you're rejecting the food that God has laid out for you. And no wonder you feel like you're starving to death. C.S. Lewis once wrote that we have to learn to eat the universe. I'm sorry, that's weird. (laughs) C.S. Lewis wrote somewhere that we have to learn to eat the food the universe provides. Does that make more sense? (laughs) We have to learn to eat the food the universe provides or else we'll starve to death. You see, until you admit that you're not as competent as you think you are and you're not as trustworthy as you want people to believe, you're not as faithful to people or to God as you claim to be, until you're willing to admit those things, I'm telling you, friend, communion, Jesus and his supper will make no sense to you. It's, it's, Precisely because we are weak 
and incompetent that Jesus packed this meal for us on our journey. Because he knew he would fail again and again like the original 12 did. And so he nourishes us with this. And this literally builds up our faith. But if you're willing to alter your expectations, right? if you're willing uh, to turn the paradigm on its head and lower your expectations of yourself, and by faith, by trusting Jesus, raise your expectations of what God can do and who God is, right? if, if you're willing to change your expectations, God will so fill you with his grace that you'll want to sing about it. God's grace will give you songs to sing even in your soul's darkest nights. Did you notice that Jesus sang on his darkest night? The passage tells us that after supper, before they went out to the Mount of Olives, they sang a hymn. Now, scholars believe it's, it's one of the praise psalms, one of the Hallel psalms. Psalm 115, 116, 117, 118, nobody really knows. But it was Jewish tradition to sing one of those psalms during the Passover. And so Jesus, knowing he was about to be betrayed, knowing he was about to be abandoned by his closest friends, sings a song of praise to his heavenly father. I think it was because he knew what was going to come after his suffering. He knew that he was going to endure his soul's darkest night, being betrayed, being falsely accused, being beaten, being humiliated, ultimately being crucified and buried in the ground. I think he was able to sing a song of praise before that because he knew what that ultimate suffering and defeat would bring. His resurrection. And if you believe in him, your resurrection, your forgiveness, the blood of the lamb covering your life so that God's judgment passes over you in grace. And so he sang, and if you believe and trust in him, he will fill you with his grace so that you can sing even in your darkest nights. Ann Warner wrote a beautiful hymn during the Civil War. As somebody alluded to earlier, one of uh, America's darkest nights as a society. An event that shaped our society for hundreds of years. And in the midst of that dark moment in her society and in her history, Ann Warner wrote these words. Although the tempest loudly roars, the Lord my Savior liveth. And though the darkness round me falls, songs in the night he giveth. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? It's a gracious Savior that sustains us with his grace for our journey. Jesus knew that you'd be just as unrealistic as his disciples were. Jesus knew that I would be just as unreliable as Peter and the other, the other 11 were. So this meal, if you're a Christian, this meal is just as much as it, for you as it was for the original 11. So come to this table.
run to this table and feast on the grace of God for you. And remember that it was his defeat that brought your ultimate victory that defines who you are, that will sustain you through this hard life until he comes back. And you can sing in your soul's darkest night. Let's pray.